Welcome to the A Block, everyone, and welcome to CFL Training Camps in 2021. Thank you for being here. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're having some fun over there now. The training camps have officially kicked off. Man, it feels so good to be able to say that at CF Perspective is where you can find us and cfperspective.com. Of course, we got some great stuff coming up for you in the next couple of weeks leading up to the CFL season. And all of that, as you know by now, has been made possible by our sponsors. Of course, Fox 40. Don't forget to go ahead and use that promo code CFP15 for 15% off all your return to play whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com. They got the full lineup available for you there online. And of course, if you want some good beer to be able to enjoy the CFL season, go ahead and use that promo code CFL is the one you need to use on SadaCityBeer.com. They got a great variety of beers for you to be able to pick from. Something for absolutely everybody. And you get free shipping using that promo code CFL if you go to SadaCityBeer.com and you place an order over $100. I've been saying it since they were our friends back in April when we kicked this thing off at CFP. Go there with a couple of your friends, find something that a bunch of you like, order it, save the shipping costs, save yourselves, get some brewery exclusives, and of course, help support us around here at Canadian Football Perspective. I want to give a quick shout out as we get into the actual season and the outlook moving forward into 2021 to everybody doing a lot of great work around the Canadian Football League right now, covering the teams in individual markets. And of course, there's Danny Austin is one of my absolute favorites in Calgary, the way that he approaches reporting on the Stampeders and the, the genuine nature of his Twitter account and being able to reach out to fans and have fun with them and post some videos. Darren Bombing and Bonfire Sports TV, Jeff Hamilton, what those guys are doing in Winnipeg, I think is absolutely outstanding. The guys from Ched, everybody out there in Edmonton that does a great job covering the Elks, I think is so, so good. And of course, you've got in Toronto, our boy Ben Grant stepping up with X's and Argos, having some fun with them in Montreal. you got some different social media accounts and fan accounts that do a great job it's it's really really organic and i think something that i have learned not necessarily being in the fold right now with the tie cats and being at training camp every day which is tough because it is something that i'm used to is taking a step back and appreciating the work that other people do to bring you genuine interest and genuine curiosity that you have answers and I think that's something that is really, really respected amongst all of the fans. But to step back out of the media cycle and take a look at it from that perspective, I really have enjoyed it. And I hope that you have as well. So congratulations to everybody that's doing a great job on that throughout the start of the year. And I hope that that grows more and more and more. As we get into this podcast, I wanted to bring you arguably one of my favorite voices from out there in Vancouver, in BC. It's Julio Caravada. This guy is He's a character, he's a friend, he's a smart guy, he's an analyst extraordinaire. I got a chance to work with him officially for the first time in the 2019 Grey Cup where he was doing the color analysis on the Grey Cup broadcast alongside Rod Black. I was on the Ticat sideline and so we went out, we had some dinners and just talking X's and O's and having fun and realizing how much passion he has for the game. It always comes through and so I knew I had to get Julio on especially to talk some quarterback stuff because I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's a quarterback in BC that's kind of important to how their season's going to go in a very competitive West Division. Thanks so much, as always, to Fox 40 and Sada City for being able to present to you Julio Caravetta right here on the A Block on Canadian Football Perspective. Everyone's favorite game, where in the world is Julio Caravetta? Are you in Kamloops? Are you quarantining? Are you, what's going on no, right no. now? No, <laughs> no. I am not in quarantine. 
Uh, thank God. I am double vaccinated and I'm nice. not in Kamloops. We're not allowed to actually be in Kamloops. Really? Yeah. No, the, the first week is, is completely off limits. So. Interesting. See, I wondered what teams would do with that. I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be team control because it's, I mean, you and I understand it as being members of the media game that we can see it from both sides where it's like, well, obviously we'd like to be there and give people information on the teams and the background mm-hmm. and the matchups and the training camp battles. But at the same time, it's like, this has given teams a weird opportunity to be able to monopolize and exclusively be able to tell the story of the first week of camp. I saw Chris Hoffley from the Ottawa Red Blacks tweeting out like, you know, no fans allowed in attendance. I'm not sure what their media situation is, but he was saying that if, you know, you want anything to do with training camp, go to the Red Black social media page. And I was thinking, man, yeah. that's, that's an interesting opportunity for those people to be able to take that and make that the home of everything that their fans want, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know that there's there's a ton of people out there that are interested, right? That, that have missed the game and are going to want information. So you're right. This is a really good opportunity for those teams to really engage people on their website and give them an opportunity and say, hey, this is really good. I'm going to keep coming back here. Mm-hmm. So that that is a real good opportunity for them to uh, you know to engage the fans. I know that the people here are interested, but here's the double whammy here in British Columbia is that where the Lions are having training camp is, is so most people if you don't know where Kamloops is here in you know relation to Vancouver, it's about two and a half hours, three hours north of here. Um, but with all the wildfires going on, Kamloops has had you know some issues. Um, and, you know, they were talking about the air quality control up there as being, you know, you know, potentially going to be very bad. So, you know, talk about the, you know, you having to deal everything with the pandemic and having to do with the quarantine and the vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Now you throw in the fact now that they might have to battle the air quality up there in order to get some practices. So I'm sure that they're, you know, uh, they, they were probably in a ton of Zoom meetings anyways. But now with all this, there's got to be a plan B, right? You got to have a plan to potentially deal with the, the idea of not being able to practice for a few days because mm-hmm. if the wind shifts up there with everything that's going on in the interior and the, and the wildfires, it could make things very, very, um, you know, uh, bad for the team and then the sense that they won't be able to practice. Yeah, and it is it is scary because I've been in Alberta before where, like you say, one day it's clear, the next day the wind shifts, and if there's wildfires in BC or otherwise, and it it comes over the top of the, the mountains there, then all of a sudden yeah. it's a completely different world, and obviously everybody knows that lives in those parts, that whether it's the air advisories or if it's you know stay-at-home, it's all those things that you thought you were done with having to stay locked inside, and now the players might yeah. be locked inside for a whole different reason. You're right, it's crazy, but again, it's it's kind of the nature of a lot of issues stacking on top of each other that uh, I don't think that we were necessarily at fault for a whole lot of what happened with the COVID stuff, but you can make the argument, Julius, you know, that eh, we might be at fault for some of the forest fire stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I'll, the, the, you know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of news on that. Um, but, you know, here too, like the interior, they're seeing some bad thunderstorms, right? So yeah. a lot of some, a lot of those big ones are being attributed to, to the lightning. Um, but like you say, you know, a lot of it is man-made too. So, um, but man, oh man, this is a scary time here in this province with the, with the wildfires and, um, hopefully we can, you know, we can get some rain and get them under control because, uh, as dry as it's been out here, we, hopefully they can contain all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's turn our attention towards the team itself. The BC Lions, uh, exciting, obviously, to get back into the swing of things and have a training camp, mm-hmm. get back on the field. But what is your sense of the fan base right now? Because the conversation always and again, it did this week where Tim McAuliffe is talking about 
you know, put your money where your mouth is. People that didn't want the yeah. XFL to be involved in any of this stuff. And it's always, it's the big metropolitan centers that get thrown in the conversation. It's always BC, Toronto, Montreal. And it seems like Toronto yeah. gets a lot of the discussion. Montreal has the new ownership that gets a lot of attention. BC always feels like it's playing third fiddle, even in the discussion about the three metropolitan centers that are struggling. So I want from you, someone who actually understands the area and the fan base a little bit, where is this fan base at? And, and what is this team's relationship to the community at right now? Well, I, I think that, you know, I mean, th- there are the core fans here in Vancouver. There's no question. You know, there are the, the diehards that are going to come out. And you I mean, that's your 15 to 20,000 fans that, are, that love the game. Um, to me, Marshall, you know what the biggest issue for me in this city is, and it will continue to be, um, is the stadium. You I mean, that's a big, big hurdle to overcome here. Uh, you know, people, it's Vancouver. We got, there's a lot of options for people in the summertime to be able to go out and, you know, go for a walk on the seawall, go do this, go do that. Um, going inside that stadium, even though they have now a little bit of an opening, it's, it's still not, you know, conducive to, you know, being outside. Like I, I think about what, what Hamilton has and what Ottawa has, like that, the idea of you have those end zones with where, where the bands are playing and there's a young crowd out there, you know, they're drinking beer, they're having, you know I mean? It's social. It's a, so it's not, yeah, yeah. There's a football game going on, but it gives them the opportunity to really socialize as well. And that's, we just don't have that here. And, and, and it's one of the things that I think that really needs to happen is that in, they need to be able to engage that younger generation. As I said, if the team does well, and the, you know, mean they, they go out and catch fire and start really, really well, you're going to get 20, 25,000 people in that stadium. But at the same time, those people love it, but it's also, they're looking around going, Jesus, you know what I mean? It's, it's half empty here. You know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a 60,000 seat stadium yeah. pretty much. And you're, and you've got the whole up, it's just not an atmosphere. Right. And that's something that we desperately need. And, and, and until, and I know that it's going to be an expensive fix. And I know that that's probably pretty far reaching, but um, you know, I know that that football can thrive. I know that the amateur game, the high school game is, is alive and well here. You know, I'm coaching high school football um, in, in here in Coquitlam. And uh, I know that they're, the kids, are interested right there the, the grassroots level it's there there's people interested in playing football now it's just translating and getting those kids you know into the stadiums and and, and watching the games it's uh it's wild to think that you can be inside a stadium and say well you know the, the culture and the environment isn't really there when you could walk 300 400 meters maybe and hop on a paddleboard and go underneath the granville island bridge like i did that yeah. before a game a couple years ago because of the time change so damn long for people from the east coming out west where i wake up at two in the morning i'm like what am i gonna do yeah. i don't know let me get on a paddleboard <laughs> for five hours before the game and just go out and get some exercise so uh, which by the way i ended up making my way from bc place out towards the seawall which uh, i had a wow. great great time super relaxed went all the way out there Turned around, it took twice as hard coming back. Yes. It was twice as hard to paddle. And I was like, I've made a terrible <laughs> mistake. Obviously, I have no idea how the water works here. Yes, yeah. No, you're right. Hey, that's happened to me before. And you're right. You, it's so beautiful. And all of a sudden, the wind changes or the tide changes. And all of a sudden, you're working your ass off just to get back. Yeah, and I was like, I, I have to call it a game. Though. If I, it was. Yeah. It was amazing. But I'm going, if I don't paddle hard enough, there's no broadcast today because that was the game that Mike Morielli was actually at the oh, yeah. CBL's championship weekend. So I was calling the That's game right. solo. I was doing pre-post halftime color and play by play on radio. And I'm like, if I don't get off this paddleboard in time, something very bad is going to happen. So of course you're just paddling with fear and going as hard as you possibly can. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful spot. And to think that all of that is so close and, and there's so much to be accessed because 
there are so many teams in the CFL, I believe personally, without actually talking to, you know, their presidents and CEOs that would just die to have an environment like that spot in that city where there's so much happening and there's so many different things to be able. It's like, how do you turn that from being a negative where people say, well, I want to go do this, not that. And how do you turn it into a positive where people say, well, yeah. I want to go do that as part of the experience of being down there. Cause there's teams that yeah. like Ottawa has taken advantage of that. Definitely. And that's, that's what I was just about to say that kind of experience, like where Ottawa stadium is, is the kind of situation they need to create here. And the other part of that too, is like the white caps are in the same situation, right? They, yeah. they need to be able to, to, to create that kind of atmosphere because if they could, then you're going to get people as far as going down to an event, whether it's football or soccer, you're outside, you're having a good time, the band's going, and all of a sudden when the game's over, you can walk downtown and continue to keep it going, right? Um, and so, but you got to get those people in the stadium, and that's that's the problem here, I find, is that is that stadium is just, it's not conducive to, to that intimacy that, the, that all around the league seems to be creating with their games, and I, I, I look at Hamilton and that's a perfect example. You know I mean? When you're there, it, it, you see all the fans kind of lingering outside the, 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 all the tailgating and then they come inside and that whole end zone. It's just, it's just, we just don't have anything near that here. And that's what they need to create. Interesting. Yeah. Certainly a challenge for them going forward, but yeah. uh, lo lots of ideas I'm sure being thrown around and I'm sure that the new ownership group, when it is uh, founded, mm -hmm. that, that will be a uh, probably number one a on there uh, to figure out how to yes. engage those fans for sure. Um, Absolutely. The, the other question I want to ask you here off the top that I'm sure you get everywhere you go, but I, I, I love your eye for the game. You know this. I always gush on whether it's radio or talking to you off the air, just the idea of being able to talk X's nose and, and style and characteristics of offenses and everything else with you. And uh, the way that Mike Riley Michael now, sorry, uh, laughed yes. off, uh, laughed off in the introductory press conference for the year, the protection issues of 2019. I was like, good on him. Good on Michael for doing that because that's, that's the right approach to take and believing in your guys. And yes, the coaching staff changing over and all the rest, but how do they go into this year feeling so comfortable knowing that so many of the guys did come back? Is it because they were banged up uh, the offensive line throughout the year? Is it because the coaching staff has changed over? Is it because Riley now understands what's in front of him better after the first year? What do you think is giving him that, that comfort and ability to joke about it and move forward? Well, I think, you know, one of the things is, is that that's Mike's, Michael's personality, right? He's a, he's a leader and he's going to try to deflect that and, and not make it a big issue. Um, but I think also, Marshall, you know, I, I, by the way, I really enjoy our talks too about that, the X's and O's part. I mean, it, it's always great to talk to somebody who's got a passion for the game like yourself. Um, but I think in BC's case, I think a few things. I think they probably figured out a little, little bit on how to use Suk Chung a little bit better. I mean, he had a, a difficult transition here, then he got hurt. But I think getting him healthy and getting him involved in the system, you know, I mean, Suk was a dominant you know, guard in this league when he was with Winnipeg. I think they're hoping that they can create that, you know, back again. Getting Riker Matthews, I don't have to tell you. I mean, he's a solid offensive lineman who's played in this league, has had success in this league. You get him at right tackle. You've got veterans going across the board, you know, with Hunter Stewart and, and, and Joel Figueroa. Um, and then uh, Peter Godbert and Philip Norman going to be battling up, up front at that center position. They're pretty solid across board, but I will say the one biggest part of this whole equation is Kelly Bates. Mm -hmm. When the coaching change was made from Brian Chu to Kelly Bates, 
it just seemed the, the chemistry seemed to really start to work that his coaching style really started to resonate with those guys. And they really started to become a different group, that group that started out the year and the group that ended the year, you know, they're, they were very, very different. You know, they really started to find their groove towards the end of the year. Um, but I, I think having Kelly here for the whole time, I think that, like I said, the personnel across the board, um, as it is right now, unless someone kind of jumps right out of you at training camp, uh, it is a pretty solid group going into the season. So um, I think Mike's probably got a reason to be uh, optimistic about how things look going forward. How hard is it going to be for all of us to stop saying Mike? I know. <laughs> I, I better I better not. I never. I usually put. I usually bet Moj with a. Uh, um, you know, some wings. If we screw up a name, I better not do that. Cause that could really be bad. We could be pounding back hundreds of wings. So yeah, it's going to take some time getting used to that. Uh, it, it's <laughs> tough, but again, I, I admire the reason why he made yeah. the change. I think everybody does. Right. And they understand that it was his mom's request. So it's, uh, it's yes. one of those things that again, just reveals the character of Michael Riley and everything that we've known yeah. about him as a player for a long time, just gets reinforced tenfold once again. But, um, what, what style of offense do you think, this team will take on this year based on the talent that you see on the roster going into camp? Well, you know, I think bringing Shaq Cooper in, uh, you know, I mean, I think gives him a, you know, that, that kind of dynamic runner who not only can run the ball, he's got quick feet, but also the ability to, you know, get him out of the backfield, but let's not kid ourselves. What makes Mike Riley so good is, is his ability to push the ball vertically. Right. So, you know, they want to be a a big strike capability team. Um, It's going to be interesting. You know, Brian Burnham is, is Brian Burnham. Lamar Durant's Lamar Durant. You know, those two guys, you know, are going to be the constants. But to me, it's going to be that, that third receiver, that Dominic Grimes, the, 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 you know, Lucky Whitehead. Those kinds of guys, how are they going to fit in to the offense? Because we know that, you know, Mike's, he's going to be successful if you give him time. He's just too good. You know, he's, he can read a defense, he can get rid of the football. You give him enough time, he's going to hurt you. I think they want to be a little bit more of a, big strike type team. I think they want to be able to push the ball ball vertically and have that threat that if you do start to press them, that they can go away from Brian Burnham because he's going to be the guy that's going to be, who's going to draw all the attention. So those other guys need to be able to contribute. And if they can, um, like I think they can, um, I think they're going to be, they're going to be dangerous offensively. Uh, You have a veteran quarterback in this league who can, who can read defenses and has a ton of success. You know that, um, given time he's he's going to be successful i've always been interested by michael riley's relationship with brian burnham in that first year especially thinking about it here through the last basically year and a half in that you know this julia when when you have a receiver that's that talented that dominant and can be that productive in the right situation there's a tendency to lean on that guy too much at times like it just it's he's a magnet for everything i don't know where else Mm -hmm. to go let me just force the ball in and all of a sudden you start throwing bad interceptions and you start throwing the ball where you shouldn't and off timing and off script. And he never did that. Riley never did that with Burnham in 2019, despite the protection issues. It never felt like it was forced. Somehow that relationship still stayed organic and productive, despite the fact that there was just tornadoes and earthquakes swirling around him at all times in the pocket. And to me, that just screams, well, if he does get protection, (laughs) <laughs> what, could that, what could that actually be? Because the fact yeah. that that didn't look bad between the two of them or forced between the two of them in 2019 is it might be one of the most surprising things of that entire season, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you make a very good point. And, and, and you, 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 there's just, 
you know, I, I don't have to explain it to you because I know you've probably experienced this where you have a guy where you just, you know, you, you just trust what he sees is what you see. And I think that, that's one of the things that really kind of, they, they hit it off right away. And I think they were also with Lamar Durant that, that you, you saw his kind of career year happening and then he got hurt. Yeah. Um, you saw that, you know, he came a long way with understanding and then he really relied on those two guys. And, but at the same time, there was no one else out there that was really, not that there was no one else out there. He didn't have the time to create, you know, a, a relationship with anybody else because he, he knew, um, especially early on that, you know, he had to be able to make a read and throw it because he wasn't going to have the time. So I would suspect that that relationship between those guys and, and every team has it, right. You, you got to have those interior guys that you trust, that you believe in what, what they see is what you see and, and your ability to deliver the football in the, in certain spots before they even get there is the, is the key. Um, and then if you throw in a third guy and sometimes when it's, when it's really magic, you throw in a fourth guy yeah. and you know, Hamilton has been like that, right? You mean like, a, I don't have to tell you, you, you start creating an atmosphere with three or four guys and that chemistry, then you get, that's when you get dangerous, real dangerous. So that's, that's the hope here. They, they, they feel really good about what they have. Um, and I know they feel really good about a couple of the guys that they're bringing in, but at the same time. You know, you know, 97 guys or 100 guys, how many guys are going to bring in? That's there's going to be some guys that are going to be um, that may surprise us that we've heard so much about that aren't going to pan out. But that's the best part about training camp and seeing how some of these guys emerge and develop. And, and maybe we're talking about, uh, you know, the next Brian Burnham uh, coming out of this out of this receiving core. So, yeah, a lot of re good reasons to be optimistic here. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I also, when you're talking about having three receivers and when it gets really special, it's when four guys step up. It reminds me of, I think, the most dangerous, well-rounded attack that we've seen is 2017, probably in Ottawa, maybe 2018 as well. But the idea of having, you know, Chris Williams or Deontay Spencer over the top, Ellingson into the field side, Sinopoli working between zones in the middle of the field. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it was Ernest Jackson one year and then another year they were going with, it was it was just, there were so many different levels of the, the defense that they could attack. And now I'm looking at Elizondo and Trevor Harris in Edmonton with the Elks. And I'm thinking to myself, like, they've obviously got Darrell Walker and Greg Ellingson. Those guys have to hit a thousand yards in order for them to have success. I fully expect that. And my question is, yeah, do you think Armonte Edwards or Tavon Smith can get up towards that thousand yard mark? Because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that's going to look. Are they just going to be two-man heavy with Drell and Ellingson and nobody can stop him with those two? Or are they going to do the Trevor Harris thing with Elizondo they did in Ottawa where it's like, oh no, we're just going to pick you apart in 17 different ways? I, I, yeah, I, I think that's exactly. And the thing is too, is that Trevor's, he's, he's shown too, he's another guy that he, he, he knows what he's looking at, yeah. right? He's, he's getting rid of the football real quick. And that makes it, you know, when you have a guy who, you know, delivers the football so quickly, Right. It's very frustrating. And, and he seems to really know where he's going before that snap. And it's when you have that kind of talent, it's hard to stop. Right. Like we always say that. And I know that we, we always say that here in, in BC when we play Calgary with Bold Levi, you know, when you get quarterbacks who reach a certain level of experience and talent, how do you stop them? Right. And then I think the, the bottom line is this is that you have to be really productive up front. You have to have the ability to change it up, to give them multiple looks, 
and to get into his face quickly. And if you don't, and you allow these guys to get some rhythm and start really kind of understanding what you're doing, you know, then, then you you may, you might as well just hold on and, and hope to God something bad happens because you're, 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 you're just going to sit back and watch these guys go do their work because they're just too good. So, and all these guys, like you look at bowl, you look at Trevor, you look at Michael, you mean, and, and the guy I'm interested in seeing how he kind of rebounds and, and is Cody Fajardo. What happens with him, right? He had an outstanding, um, you know, beginning of his uh, career. And then all of a sudden now, you know, I mean, he's going to be the guy, you know, everyone, all eyes are going to be on him. So in the West with all those quarterbacks, um, it's, it's going to be who comes out of the gate quickest and the fastest. And, and um, if they can do that, um, it should be a real fun year in the West for sure. Yeah. And the thing that I love about the West this year, Julio, going into it is that we talk about Michael Riley and Bo Levi and classic matchup. And they've had so many duels with each other and Trevor's out there. Now he's got Elizondo helping him out. He's got all these receivers. He can throw it to and man, Fajardo, that's a talented team. And the guy we never talk about the guy who just won the great cup, like Zach Kalaros in 20, right. And it's, I'm guilty of it too. I always do that where I'm like, Oh yeah. Zach's in Winnipeg. And he just won the great cup and he was super efficient and he still, and he still got Andrew Harris and they've still got Willie Jefferson and Jackson. And you start to realize whoever doesn't make the playoffs in the West deserves to make the playoffs in the West. (laughs) Like there's not a single roster that I'm looking at here going into training camp where I'm saying, yeah, that's that team. I mean, Ottawa, you can make the argument in the East is like, they should probably be towards the back end, but I don't see a team in the West that deserves to be, you know, whatever, uh, winning 25% of their games, three, four games, something like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's right. And you're right about Zach. He's the kind of guy that you just, you know, I mean, he just seems to have that ability that wherever he goes, he's, he's successful. If he stays healthy, you know, Winnipeg's going to be in the mix, right? So now all of a sudden, as you said, the whole Western division, if, um, you know, you don't bring it every, every game, you, you know, you could, you could start to see how, like with the Lions, they were what, 0 and 10 last year against the, against the Western division. Yeah. You mean it starts to slip on your way really quickly. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I wanted to get your take on uh, what happened yesterday in Saskatchewan. Have you ever Ooh. seen anything like that? So I actually tweeted out that I, I had in my first game in university at McMaster, I'll never forget it, man. We were playing against Queens. And, you know, I'm whatever, 18, 19 years old. I'm still living in Hedden Hall across the street from the football stadium. I haven't even moved into my actual residence yet. I don't know who anybody is on campus. I haven't taken a class yet. And we go into this game after, <laughs> after training camp. And I think I, I was wearing like the Peyton Manning, the old Riddell face mask that had like the weird horseshoe on the front. It was just a weird time in my fo- football life. And I'm standing on the sidelines and I can't believe that I get to dress as a first year quarterback as the backup. So I feel super privileged. And then we start the game and down goes, I believe Mitch highway, who was a fifth year, massive senior defensive tackle ACL Corey by fullback slash linebacker, special teams, extraordinaire ACL, uh, Andrew Saria defensive back, great speed, super athletic, kind of like a sixth man in the rotation ACL first quarter. Of my first university wow. game, we had three ACL tears, and it was the most unbelievable thing because the entire sideline was looking around at each other going, you got to be shitting me. How is this even possible? Like, yeah. This doesn't make yeah. any sense to have the same injury. Now, that was a game. When you're asking me, have I ever seen anything like what happened in Virginia yesterday? The answer is straight up no, because the idea of having 
that injury, which is a severe injury, like this is a type of injury that I, and again, I don't wish any slowing down of the careers of any of these guys, especially Larry Dean, because I got so much respect for that dude. But this is the type of injury that really takes away your explosiveness. If you look back through history, who's had this injury, it tends to slow you down a little bit. If you come back from it and you're great, you're kind of against the odds in that sense. So when I saw this go down, the first thing that I thought was, there's no way that that's possible. Like, I thought the reporting was just straight up wrong. And then I listened to Jeremy O'Day's live press conference. And when he said, yeah, it's four guys and it's all Achilles and they're all long-term. And you know this from training and football. I went, what exercise could you possibly be doing yeah. that would attack Achilles in that way? And it's not that they were trying to do anything nefarious or I don't think they were trying to push the guys too hard, but... It's obvious that because they said it happened, and again, I don't want to read between the lines too much on this, but <laughs> CSI Regina happening here on uh, on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I do, I'm interested in the idea that they said it happened, you know, just a minute or two apart. It's like, okay, so there was one exercise that they were doing that their legs were that not, was... they were not prepared for, obviously. And they won't say it. And O'Day said we were trying to ramp up slowly and responsibly, but... There was something that they were doing on the field that even if it didn't seem like they were pushing themselves too hard, it was something that should not have been done based on the fact that it was tough on that part of the body or they didn't yeah. warm up or they were, I don't know what the hell happened, man. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. You mean that that's exactly the same thing I asked myself is what, what were they doing? That would, that, and then when you say like they were minutes apart, like it's clearly one of the exercises was putting a ton of, of pressure on them. Um, you know, I think it also, you know, it's, it's obviously devastating for Saskatchewan. Um, but I think also it sends a message, I think to every team, you know, I listened to your interview with Orlando Steinhauer about mm. how he's, you know, gonna, gonna attack training camp. And I, I know that he said some to the effect of, Hey, we have a plan. I'm not going to share it with you, but we've, we've discussed it. And I think though, uh, you made a very good point is that if you don't, if you don't take in the advice of your medical team, your trainers, your football people. And, and it's, that's gotta be a collaborative effort because we're in it where it's an unprecedented time. Like there, a lot of these guys have not played football in how long year and a half. Yeah. So let's, let's really start to, you know, um, think about what we're putting through. And the other part of that too, Marshall, is that I think the physical part, but I also think the mental part, you know, I think about here in BC, I was talking to one of the coaches they've had, to quarantine in Kamloops. So a lot of these guys that are coming up here, these imports are now being put up in residence in Kamloops, British Columbia, which is, which is, if you've anybody's ever been there, it's, it's the desert pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's dry and hot. And now with all this, the fires going on, like I could imagine some of those guys there, I think they were only out of, allowed out of their rooms for two 15 minute walks in a day. Like, could you imagine? So it's the mental part. I also think about, right? Like, what do you do as coaches? How do you approach that? You can't, you can't go an entire month of practicing every day and scrimmaging and doing all that. It's, it's going to be a real delicate balance of how teams approach all this, because as I said, it's unprecedented. It's going to be like any, nothing else you've done before. So the teams I think that can really navigate through all this is going to be critical in all of that. You, you've got to have a really, really strong plan on how to take care of your players, both physically and mentally to be able to optimize, you know, when, when the beginning of August comes and you're, you're going to be playing for real. 
Yeah, it's a great point that you make about the mental side, because if there's anything that we've learned about mental health and the things that people have gone through, the adversity they've faced throughout the pandemic, it's that like there is a lot of things on the surface that you can see a guy tears his Achilles, he goes down in a heap and he's out for the year. Yeah, that's pain. Uh, the, The frustration of loneliness, like you say, of the American guys coming up and not having family and living through FaceTime and working through meetings. The second you turn off that phone or that Zoom call, it's just you and four walls, man. And, and like, that's exactly, tough. that's tough when you're chasing your dreams. So it's a great point. It also reminds me a little bit of, I think it was the Alberta premier Kenny, who, when the Edmonton bubble was coming up for the NHL, he was like, please come to Edmonton. We'd love to host you for the NHL bubble. And he showed shots of the mountains in Jasper in the video. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm like, that's, that's a four hour drive West. I've, I've flown into Edmonton. Yeah. I've driven to Jasper. Hey. And I love the idea of the, the BC lions going to people on Neil McAvoy and other Americans at camps and going, let me show you the brochure for Vancouver. And then they fly it and they go to Kamloops and they're going, yeah. wait a minute. I was shown ocean pictures. Hey. <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. And for some of those guys, man, it must be like they are on another planet. Um, so you, like you said, right? Like we've seen it before where guys, where guys come in and, and they're, you know, they, they, they're thinking to themselves, like how many people are we going to see maybe walk away, say, Hey, this isn't worth it. I'm not doing this right. Like this, it's like I said, um, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting how, uh, teams approach this and, and how they're going to keep their players engaged and having fun and making it obviously making it about competitive uh, being in a competitive environment and, and the football part obviously is, is, is first and foremost, but the other part of being able to keep them mentally right and having fun and engaged. Um, and they have, those, they have the opportunities, right? Like here with no media, they can do the, all this stuff via web and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they've got an, a, an opportunity to really kind of bond as a team as well and create a real, you know, positive environment. So, It'll be interesting to see what what Rick Campbell has to say about what he's going to do and how he's going to make how he's going to approach it all because I think um, it's a real real key factor heading into the season. Yeah, and, and uh, the other thing that I took away from the Orlando Steinauer quote that I got from him in that interview was um, that he said, you know, we want our guys to be healthy, but we also need to be prepared because being healthy and not being prepared doesn't do us any good when we hit August 5th. And I'm like, well, that's an impossible balance. Like there's no way to accomplish that until you actually hit the game. And then we're all going to do the hindsight 2020 game where they show up. Any team shows up week one and they look awful. We're going to go, Oh my God, they, they weren't prepared at all. They weren't prepared. Yeah. But look at them. They're so healthy. Or, you know, we could have the riders where they show up in week one against BC and they're incredibly prepared and we're going, oh, wow, they must have really been pushing. Maybe that's why they had the four Achilles. Exactly I mean, right. We're just going to play hindsight on all of this stuff. So I think reasonable people out there will be willing to just like push back from the table for the next couple of weeks and be like, let's just let them do their work because they gave yeah. them a long training camp to get themselves ready. So uh, before I get you out of here, Julia, I do want to ask you one more question about the Lions specifically, because I am slightly obsessed with how much I love the linebacking core uh, because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan, obviously of putting Canadians at spots. The Canadians don't typically get to play. And sometimes that is uh, middle linebacker. And sometimes that's, you know, Corey Greenwood comes in and he gets to be middle linebacker and maybe you give him a Fraser Sopic or a backup. That's, you know, a young guy, a developmental guy. Very rarely do you see number one draft pick guy that I think could have been uh, in any draft class in the last five years, a number one draft pick, to be honest, Jordan mm-hmm. Williams, and then you follow that up with an excellent draft 
pick. Uh, that is a depth guy in Ben Vladek out of UBC. I thought he was going to mm-hmm. go in the first round. He falls into the early 20s. They still get him. They add depth in that spot. You get Bolo Combo coming over. Like it's the whole design of that linebacking group and just how many Maple Leaf flags there are in that depth chart at linebacker. I find it so intriguing the way they've designed this. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I think that you, you look at also, you know, guys like um, Isaiah Guslak messam who had a yes. great, he had a great campaign with Rich Stubler at that weak side. And you know Rich like I know Rich. He's been around the league. You don't you don't play at that position unless you know what you're doing. And and he did a very, very good job. And like now you say you say you throw in Bola Combo, you throw Adam Konar, who's had a tremendous amount of time to get himself um healthy and ready to go because he's a good football player. Um, but Jordan Williams obviously is a guy that I'm very, very intrigued with. Uh you know, every all every every person that I talk to tells me the same thing. Like this guy's going to be a dominant force. He's he's he can go from sideline to sideline. So uh, I really like the way that that, that linebacking uh, that core looks as it is right now. Um, and as you said, anytime that you look like it looks like they're going to pencil two Canadians in at that spot, right? So uh, it, it, they're going to be they're going to be I think very talented and deep. They're going to have guys that are going to be able to do. You mean they've got enough guys that can play both those spots, hopefully, that can come in and rotate through and um, in different packages and hopefully give them the kind of depth that they need. Because you know, as well as anybody, that if you're going to start a Canadian, you got to have depth, right? If you're going to adjust the ratio to make sure that you're, you know, you're going to play with a Canadian, you've got to make sure that if anything happens to him, you've got a guy who can step right in. I think they feel pretty good about what they have at that position. Yeah, and, and I would say as well, Guzlik Messam, when he was coming out, there were people from Laurier who were just screaming at me in the draft analysis going, do you have any, have you actually watched any of our games? Do you have any idea how good this guy is? And I was like, I yeah. mean, I, I watched, I mean, I think he's pretty good. And then sure enough, he gets the CFL and I went, oh no, yeah, I, I underrated yeah. him. That was my bad. I should have <laughs> liked him more. There, there's always a couple of guys that jump out like that. that sure. When they get to the CFL, they really come to life for you on tape. And he was definitely one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was just impressed. Like, as I said, like I, I used to talk to Rich all the time and I know how much emphasis he puts on his defensive guys to be able to make reads, to understand the concepts of what an offense is trying to do and how to make those reads and, and adjustments on the fly. And, and man, oh man, he was, he was outstanding. He quietly went about his business and he's one of those guys that you just you, you kind of look at the end of the year and you look at statistically and think, God, this guy had a good year, mm-hmm. you know. And he just didn't get he just didn't get the kind of hype that a lot of other guys did. But I'm looking forward to seeing what kind what he brings to the table again. I mean, I, obviously it's a it's a new system, um, and and it's gonna it'll be interesting to see how, if that system fits what he's what he's good at. But um, again, I, I just think that he's one of those guys that, from a depth perspective, is going to be um, you know in a really good battle, and that's always a good place to be. I have a feeling that we're not done with them, uh, but fingers crossed, Julio, that we are done with the shocking injuries and retirements as we head into uh, the training camps here as people, uh, when they're listening to this, they'll be through the first couple of days of training camps. And by now there might be all sorts of news of people deciding that it's not right for them or otherwise. But uh, the one thing I do know is please don't ask Julio or I to do box jumps or deadlifts or sprints because... (laughs) Because we will tear Achilles <laughs> simultaneously. Something bad will happen. Uh, it's the bi- Something the- bad will happen. <laughs> I was going to say the bilateral Achilles tear. Uh, at the same <laughs> time, both of us popping both of them at the same time would not be great. But it's great to catch up with you, no. man. And I know it's going to be an exciting year for you guys as well. Let people know where they can find you this year because the deal just got announced for you to go out there and do your thing. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, everybody, uh, we can uh, be uh, heard on uh, this um, Chorus uh, Radio Network or Chorus. Uh, we're going to be on AM 730. Um, so we're really excited about the deal. It's uh, something that uh, has been in the works for a while. So, um, yeah, we're going to be on the radio. And uh, I know a lot of fans have reached out. They're really excited about it. We're excited about it. And and most importantly, you know, we're going to be able to, to do what we love to do, right? I don't have to tell you that. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I love the game. And to be able to do this game on the radio and, and be heard throughout the, the lower mainland and throughout British Columbia is, uh, is, is, good for, is good for the football team. And uh, it's great for us because we get to continue to do what we love. Awesome. Congratulations, man. I'm looking forward to catching up with you in person soon. Absolutely. Uh, likewise, Marshall. I appreciate it. Always appreciate Julio Caravada's time, and uh, I think he's going to have a lot of fun this year. The Lions have a lot of potential flying under the radar if that Canadian linebacking core can stay healthy and they can get productivity from receivers 2, 3, and 4 beside Brian Burnham. Man, they are they're nicely set up as long as they can protect Michael Riley going forward here, which uh, you heard him and I both slip up a couple of times in that interview. Trust me. It's going to take a little while. It's probably going to happen on the national television broadcast for everybody for a little while too. But out of all respect to Mike, it's it's great to be able to see him getting out on the field and being a veteran presence and trying to lead that team forward. And Julio is going to have a lot of fun, I think, covering that team. Again, thanks as always to our friends at Fox 40 and at Sawdust City Beer. Make sure you're using those promo codes CFP15 for 15% off at fox40shop.com and CFL during checkout at sawdustcitybeer.com to be able to get yourself free shipping on orders over $100 available to Ontario residents only and must be of legal drinking age. On the way out here, I just wanted to grab a little tidbit of what Julia was talking about with the mental side of this training camp specifically because the mental side of training camps in general is always difficult, but the mental side of this one is incredible. I, I don't think a lot of us have wrapped our head around exactly what these guys are going through, quarantining again, being by themselves, being away from their family, trying to live out their football dreams, whether you are a Michael Riley who's an established 10-year-plus veteran or you're an American coming in fighting for a very, very small chance at making a roster spot. These guys are going in and out of practice, not knowing what their daily reality is going to be, when roster moves are going to be made, and they are battling. And a lot of them, most of them, if not all of them, are doing it solo. And so that side of this whole pandemic training camp that we are looking at right now, a longer training camp than we're used to in the CFL, just keep that in mind anytime that you're looking at training camps and how these things are shaking out in the news that comes out from camps. If somebody decides to retire, if somebody says they want to sit out the year, they're human. They're going through some stuff just like a lot of the rest of us have over the last year. So keep that in mind. And of course, great respect to everybody who is out there grinding and getting ready for the 2021 season. Thanks as always for listening to the A Block. Looking forward to catching up with Derek Taylor right here on Canadian Football Perspective on Wednesday with the breakdown. Myself and Kyle Mello coming up on Friday. Tuesdays and Thursdays, as always, it's all Canadian with Wade Zanketa and Connor O'Neill on Canadian Football Perspective.